So there's two kinds of people that are here tonight. Those that just saw that and God said, I would love to be in that car. How many of you are with that, right? I'm with that. And, and the other group of people are like, oh, dear God, I hope they're okay. Who is that, right? I know, yeah, we know who you are. Sure, yeah, I know, I know. The, uh, I have to tell you before, since Hannah and Sailor aren't in here, we can talk about them. But, you know, Sailor was in the service with Hannah. It's uh, Pastor David, our student ministries pastor, and his wife and daughter. And, uh, and so she was in the service with us up until the, uh, the announcements. And all of a sudden, you could hear Selah saying, play, 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 play. She's like, I've had enough of this. Can I just go to the nursery, right? I'm, I'm ready to be out of here and be where there are toys and snacks. So that might be you, and that's okay. But as an adult, you can't say that. So... You just have to wait until the end. Then you can go, go grab your snack. So I remember, I forget which one of our kids it was. I want to say it was Claire. The, and she's like, great, Dad. Thanks for telling the story on me. So that, uh, the first time she wanted to stay in service, and it got maybe like 10 minutes into the sermon. It was either her or Ethan. And she was like, when is this going to be over, right? So we're like, yeah, so this is right. We get it. We get it. So I, I'm joking with you a little bit because you might be in, in here tonight and, and, and you're not a kid, and, and you might still feel that way. And, and my encouragement to you is, is give God a chance to touch your heart. Give him a chance to touch your heart. So many times when we, we find ourselves in situations and circumstances that maybe they're new, they, they might be unfamiliar, you might be here at the invitation of a friend, maybe church is new for you, uh, or maybe you've not been in church for a long time and the last time you were there, things didn't go so well, and, and maybe you've got this, this wall up. And, and my encouragement to you is hang in there long enough for God to touch your heart. Because if you keep meeting him halfway, he's gonna come more than halfway, and he's got some things that he wants to speak into your life. So Father, for whoever that might be here for tonight, that uh, maybe the, the, the one with the reluctant heart, that, uh, that they're going to find you over these next several minutes together as we open up your word, and they're, they're going to encounter your presence in a way that's, uh, that, that's, that, that's going to change their outlook and their expectation for their future. In Christ's name. Come on, and everybody said... Amen. Well, we're excited about this series that we're still digging into. We're calling it Let's Praxis. That's the word uh, for our discipleship model. There's a website that's built just for you. If you're new to the church or you'd like to learn more about what that means, what that word praxis means specifically, or how our discipleship model is structured, you can go to letspraxis.com. You can check that out. There's a mobile uh, site. If you're getting there from a smartphone or an iPad or if you're on your computer, you can get to the, to the full site. But, but basically, this statement, kind of encapsulates what we believe about discipleship. It's when Jesus invites me to be his disciple, he expects me to obey his commands. I obey those commands by walking in spiritual pathways. And when I walk in those pathways, I become a virtuous person, the ultimate measure for my progress as a disciple. These pathways, a lot of people think of them as spiritual activities, or the church for decades have called them spiritual disciplines. And there is a discipline aspect to this list, but we call them pathways because we want to focus not on the discipline it takes to do them, we want to focus on the outcome. These pathways will take you somewhere in your spiritual life. Worship, scripture, prayer, fasting, relationship, gathering is the one that we've been focusing on for the last couple of weeks, and we're going to be our last weekend gathering tonight. Reaching, accountability, service, rest, stewardship, 
and generosity. And the degree to which you give yourself to these pathways is going to determine how far you go in your journey of discipleship. So for this one gathering, you know, we've been focusing kind of on the aspect of gathering as it relates to this, coming to a weekend service. And that's because the text that we're kind of unpacking together in Psalm 122.1, which is going to be up on the screen for us for the rest of the service, that you can see that. This is our third week. There's seven commands that God has put into this verse to help us know how we can become a person who gathers, a person who's committed to gathering together for weekend services. But, but it's, gathering is bigger than that, right? Gathering, it's coming to that men's breakfast that's going to be next Saturday, right, where Steve Ruggiero jumps through in the cars in the parking lot, just like you saw on the video. And, and so he's going to do it in his minivan. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And so three things going to be guys that are laying in the parking lot. You can sign up for that in the foyer on the way out. So, right, it's, it's to go through. It's like the ladies that went to Devoted. How many ladies here went to Devoted? I know, so good, right? That's gathering. That's gathering. Our youth that show up for RC and, and, and life groups and church events that we do, missions trips and going to build a school in Haiti with Marvin or the Dominican Republic trip that's coming up later this year. The, these are gathering experiences. Experiences. This is the pathway of gathering. When you gather together with the people of God. Now we're focusing specifically on the weekend again because of Psalm 122.1 which says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now we have done five commands. We've done be glad, choose good friends, guard your heart, lead and follow, and be all in over the last two weeks. We're going to do the last two the last two tonight as we wrap up our conversation on gathering. Then we'll break from this series, I think, we'll see, for Easter, and then we'll pick back up with this series on discipleship. And I, we're gonna, I think we're going to be in this discipleship series for quite some time. So tonight I want to talk to you about this sixth command. It comes from the last part of this verse where it's the house of the Lord. There's two commands that are embedded in here, I believe, which is why the Holy Spirit inspired the psalmist to write this verse for us. And, and it, when, when, he, when he writes the house, he's trying to say to us that a church should be a home. Right? There's, there's lots of words that the Bible uses to talk about a place of gathering for people to come and worship God in a corporate type setting. There's the temple, right? There's the, the dwelling place. These are all Old Testament terms, sanctuary, tabernacle. And he could have used all of those in this verse, but he doesn't. And I find that interesting. And I think he used a different word because he's trying to communicate something to us. I think what he's trying to say to us is if the church is going to be a place where people want to gather, it's got to feel like a home. It can't feel like an organization, although that's a part of it. It can't feel like an institution, although that's a part of it. It can't feel like some, just some cold structure. Structure is an important part of church life, but only to the degree that it gives the church life. This word in the Hebrew, is, it's about a generic of a word as you can find. We like to dig into the language here at City Life. And sometimes we find the word like the series on hope we did a couple of years ago as we did that study that that's such a nuanced word. And the word hope in Hebrew has about, about 15 or 20 different meanings depending on the context. But this word right here, it's just plain Jane. It's simple. It, it literally means a place, typically translated a household for somebody, for an individual or for a family. It ha it, you find in the Bible over 1,700 times. I think God's trying to say this to us. A house that is a home 
is a place we return to and travel from. Meaning that if church is only a place I frequent, it just becomes another errand. Let me share that with you again. A house that is a home is a place we return to and travel from. Meaning that if church is only a place that I frequent, it just becomes another errand. And so I want to briefly talk about five different things that you've got to be willing to do in order for the City Life Church to be a home. Right? There's some things that we've got to do. There's some things that God is going to do. We're going to talk about that at the end of the message. But those of us that call City Life Church our home church, right? if it's going to feel like a home to other people that gather here, there's some responsibility that we have. If you've ever visited a church that doesn't feel like a home, it's probably because the people that go there aren't doing these things that the rest of the Bible talks about for us to understand this place of gathering. The first one is this, is I'm invested. Somebody say, I'm invested. You know, ultimately leads to home ownership in your journey in life is that at some point you make the decision you want to invest in your future. Now, there, there's some exceptions to that, right? There's times where we rent because we're in a, a place of transition. So maybe if you've been in the military and you knew that you weren't going to be there for very long and, and, and so you said, well, we're not going to buy, we're going to rent because this isn't the place where we're going to, really be able to get a return on our investment. You might be in a, a change of seasons in life. You, you might have this, this larger home because you had a bigger family and now your children are grown and gone and you're trying to figure out what's next for you. So maybe you, you're going to rent for a time and in season, right? We all know that there's different situations. Sometimes there's crisis. If there's been a tragedy with our home, then we have to move into an apartment. But at some point, you make the decision to buy a house because you realize that there's an investment that you're making into your future. And, and I think one of the reasons why God calls the church a home is because it's a place where we come to make an investment in our future. Now, what does that mean? If you listen to Matthew 16, 27, which is an important part of our discipleship model, for the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Look at Romans 2, 5 through 6, says, But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. Right? We've all said that to our children. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Listen to what verse 6 says. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. Now, entrance into heaven is by grace and grace alone. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We get there because we've made a vow of devotion to Christ and because of what Christ did for us when he died on the cross. That's our entryway into heaven, and that's all that there is to it, right? There's nothing that we can do to work our way there. But if we've made a vow of devotion to Christ, once we get there, the Bible could not be more clear that God is going to judge us. There's going to be an assessment of sorts of our lives about how well we live. The Bible even talks about rewards being handed out in heaven. And I think one of the reasons why God refers to the church being a home is because he's trying to help us understand something through our natural way of living. We understand the idea that we purchase a home in this life because it's an investment in our future. And I think he's saying to us, church, you've got to think of church as a home because it's a place that you come to to invest in your future once you come to heaven. There's work that you do in your life when you're in this place that gets you ready for your eternity. I'm invested. I'm responsible. 
I don't show up at your house to do projects. And I know that frustrates some of you. Right? You don't show up at my house to do projects. I'm not talking about if we call each other and we need a hand. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you get up, right? When you wake up tomorrow, if, it's, if, if Sunday's not the day of rest that you've set aside because you have church on Saturday, then maybe that's a project day for you. For how many of you have projects that you're going to be working on tomorrow? Anybody? I, see, I know. I know. How many of you have projects you're supposed to be working on tomorrow but have decided not to? Yeah, I like, nice, nice, right? You, you recognize that when you have a home, you're responsible for that house. We, we've had this nagging leak in our upstairs bathroom for about a year now. We've had plumbers come out. It's just, it, it's, we, we've not been able to figure out what this, we've done all kinds of things to fix it, but there's just, there's this leak that finds its way in the downstairs laundry room. Now we've finally figured out what that is, and I'm going to be working on that project tomorrow. So for all of you that are going to be suffering through some projects that I've got to remove all the valves from inside of these 40-year-old uh, uh, shower fixtures. So apparently there's inside the valve, there's, there's called this packing rope that keeps the water from passing through. That's one of the reasons why it's been a challenge, because sometimes there's water downstairs and sometimes there isn't. Who knew that stuff was in there? Apparently it is. And so, right, I've got to fix that. You know why I have to fix it? Because it's my home. You know why you're working on the project at your house tomorrow? Because it's your home. C could I just say, as respectfully as I can, if you treated your home, for some of you, the way that you treat the church that you call home, the city would condemn your house because it would be unlivable. Right? Part of this idea of the church being my home is that whatever church that is for you, and it might not be city life. You might be visiting from another church. Whatever church that you call your home, what makes it a home is that you have a sense of responsibility for that place. If you're not doing anything to work while you're there, then is it really a place that you can call your home? I'm invested. I'm responsible. Listen to 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 15. Paul says, I'm writing these things to you even though I hope to be with you soon. So that if I am delayed, listen to what it says, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. God has expectations for how we conduct ourselves in the place that we call home. We're supposed to be responsible while we're there. I'm vulnerable. I'm invested. I'm responsible. I'm vulnerable. This idea of vulnerability is an important part of a place being a home. So we like a little participation here at City Life. What are some ways that you make yourself vulnerable in your house? What are some ways that, that you might be found in your home that's an age-appropriate multi-gender conversation? I'll throw that out as a classification, right? As a disclaimer, because this is a rowdy bunch, right? So, so, so what are some ways that you would say that I'm, 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 I'm more late, I have my guard down in my home than when I'm, I'm on the rest of the world? Anybody? Scotty? Yeah, when you're out in the garage, you leave it open, but when you're not there, you're closing it, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're asleep, which is, right, which is a big part of vulnerability, right? Because, right, absolutely, that's good. I hadn't thought about that one. What's another one? Say, say that again? Yeah, sweatpants and pajamas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're, what you're, how you're going to be found in your physical attire. In fact, you can gauge relationships on how you're willing to be found by way of your physical attire, Right? <laughs> 
right? If, 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 if you've shown up to people's homes and they're like, I'm not even sure I'm comfortable with you wearing that when I come here, then that means that they think of you as a really good friend. Somebody else, Monica? Um, so I do fake Broadway, fake Broadway shows around her house. Yeah, I, I be, we believe that about you, Monica. I know. I believe that. Yeah, right. You're, you might, how many of you sometimes sing in your home, right? When nobody else is around, right? What's that? And holler. Yeah, 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 yeah. You dance, right? Dance in your home. What are some other ways, Tara? Say that again. Clay face masks. As like a beautification type thing or a game? Okay, just making sure how nervous we should be. There you go. It's beautification, she said, but you do look like a monster. Somebody else, a way that you're vulnerable in your home. Taking a shower. Yeah, like activities that you're not supposed to do in public. Yeah, there is bathroom usage, right, in the home, right? I mean, all right, we're going to end with that one. But you're tracking with me, right? There's, when you're in your home, there's a comfort level that you have, and, and it's vulnerable. That's the word. You're willing to make yourself vulnerable in your home. It's one of the reasons why God, in this verse, calls it a house. Because if you're not willing to be vulnerable with who you are on the inside, then it's just going to be a building that people come to. It's not going to be a home. We've got to be willing to let our guard down. We've got to be willing to trust each other. Listen to James 5.16. I love this verse. Confess your sins to each other. That's about as vulnerable as it gets, isn't it? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We don't get to experience the second part of that verse unless we're willing to walk in the first part of that verse, which is this whole idea of being vulnerable with one another. It's one of the reasons why gathering is so important to begin with is because as you gather, you build relationships. And as you build relationships, you build trust so that you can be vulnerable. See, so many times when you're new to the church, you want to find the church to be a place where you see that people are willing to be vulnerable with each other. But it might take you time to get there. And when you get there, you have to remember that you've got to enter into it for the own benefit that you're going to draw from it, which is what James 5.16 is about. But you also need to remember that you need to draw from it for now for the example that you're supposed to be for the other people in the room that are new. I'm invested. I'm responsible. I'm vulnerable. These are the things that make a church a home. How about I'm familiar? I'm familiar. Hebrews 10 25 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Let's say the book of Hebrews, which there's a lot of conjecture about when it was written, but let's, let's say it was 100 years, just 100 years after the resurrection of Christ. People already had a problem with stop coming to church. Right? This, this has been a problem from the beginning because they were people just like us. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, for some of you out there, you, you're neglecting gathering. You've lost your sense of the church being familiar to you. Think about times when you're 
away on business. Maybe it's been a deployment. Maybe it's a family vacation, or maybe you're just visiting family and friends, and you get back home, and whether you've used these words, you've had this thought or felt these feelings, you just say, it's so good to be home, right? There's, there's a feeling that you get when you come back to the place that is your home. And part of the reason why it feels that way is because it is the familiar space for you. It's part of that is because it's the place that you feel safe to be vulnerable. But this idea of familiarity is a great gift that God gives us the human heart to feel that emotion and that, that sense. And that's supposed to be part of what you experience here. That when you come back to church on Saturday, when you show up to men's group, when you get to the life group, when you go on the missions trip, there's something inside of you when you gather together with the people of God, it's supposed to feel like what it is when you come home after you've been away for some time. Being invested, responsible, vulnerable, familiar. And then this last one for be a home is I'm hospitable. I'm hospitable. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10 reads this way. Most important of all, continue to show, show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sin. That's a great line, isn't it? Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts Use them well to serve others. So what's he saying there? He's saying regardless of what your assignment is, which we talked about that last week, regardless of what your assignment is, everybody has a responsibility to practice hospitality in the family of God, amongst the people of God. It was great. There were some, some uh, um, neighborhood friends for the boys that were coming over uh, this past, was this past Monday night, right? It was the NCAA championship game. And, uh, and so later on in the afternoon, Vanessa, the boys were downstairs watching, watching TV and, and, uh, and she says, hey, when the, when the Halloran boys get here, what are you going to do? And because I've raised my boys to be a little sarcastic, right? They said, when they get here, we're going to tell them they know where the kitchen is. They can help themselves. Right? And Vanessa's like, no, that's not how we do it here. Right? When they get here, you're going to tell them drink choices. And she, of course, she had bought snacks and there was different kinds of ice cream and she had made some desserts. And she was like, no, 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 no. When they get here, you're going to come up into the kitchen with them. You're going to talk to them about the choices that they have and you're going to serve them. And I'm just in the background, smart enough to be quiet, <laughs> but thinking to myself, come on, they're just teenagers, right? Wow, now I'm really in trouble because she's in here. <laughs> that was not good timing. So anyways, back to Romans, right? So, so, because, because, because early on in, in our, in our, in our marriage, is that sometimes I would invite people to come over and then I would forget to tell her and, and I would tell her at the last minute, right? And, and Vanessa would say, well, I, we don't have this, we don't have that, we don't have this. And, and I would be like, honey, none of that matters. And then she would say, to, she would say it matters to me. 
right? Because if you've been around Vanessa, if you've been in her home, you know that hospitality is important to her. When, when people come, she, she wants them to feel celebrated. She wants them to feel special. And this is part of the gift that hospitality brings. For, for some of you who love hospitality, you love to have people in your homes. You get excited when you know they're coming. You get excited when you, you're, you're preparing for their arrival because you just want to make them feel special. And God says, make that part of the church. Make it part of the church. It, he, he didn't call it a tabernacle. He calls it that in other places. He didn't call it a sanctuary. He calls it that in other places because those words have other meanings that help us to remember part of what church is supposed to be too. But here, he uses a different word. He calls it a household because he's trying to help us understand something that the church must become if it's going to be a place where people want to gather. And if we're not doing it, it will not happen. And so if you call the City Life Church your home, and these notes will be online this week, you can download the PDF document if I'm moving faster than you would prefer. If you're a note taker, they're up there every week. You should be asking yourself this question. How am I invested if the City Life Church is my home? How am I responsible if the City Life Church is my home? How am I being vulnerable to other people in relationships if the City Life Church is my home? How am I working to make it a familiar place? And am I, am I a person that brings hospitality to this church? See, because all, if all of us do all five of these things, then we continue to be a place where people want to gather. I love how the verse in Romans that we read, it was the one in Romans, right? No, in 1 Peter 4, it says, God has given each a great variety of spiritual gifts Use them to serve one another. Because he's saying, regardless of what your gift is, you have a responsibility. You don't get to say. You don't get to say, well, that's not my gift. That's not my thing, making other people feel welcome. It, be, it becomes your thing at the point you call the church your home. It's funny, sometimes I run into people you know, out and about when we're running errands, and, and maybe it's a, somebody that's been visiting the church for some time, and then I haven't seen them for a while, right? And, and they're, they're hoping that I don't recognize them, right, in the store. And so, and, and so, so I find them, and, and, I'll, and I'll say, hey, it's good to see you, and I'm Pastor Fred, and with City Life, and because and, and, you don't want to assume, right, assume that people remember you. And they say, oh, no, 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 yeah, and they, they, they introduce themselves, and, and then we start talking. And, and so oftentimes I'll say, how's your church search coming, right? Because for us, you hear us say it all the time. It, it doesn't matter to us whether City Life Church becomes the church that you call home. Find a church somewhere that you can call home. And so, and so, we, so I say, well, how, how's it coming? And, and, and sometimes they'll say, well, I'm not searching for a church. And I'll say, oh, really? And, they, and they'll be like, City Life is my home church. And in that moment, I think to myself, I think your definition of home church is really different from my definition of home church, right? But I don't really know them well enough to say those things. But I do think this thought, that's so sad because there's so much more for you right? There's so much more. If people are surprised that this is the church that you call home, there's more that you're supposed to be doing. Not, not just because what it's going to do for you, but what you have a responsibility to give as a gift to other people. And if we walk in that place, come on, not does it, only does it make our lives richer, 
but it enriches the lives of other people. And I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I, I, think, I think that's gonna mean when we get there, when we get to heaven and some of those rewards are being handed out, you're gonna get some for the way that you built the kingdom of God this side of heaven. All right, let's do the last part. We got time. Number seven, number seven, never negotiate his presence. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. A church is supposed to be a home. That's why he calls it a house. And at the end of the verse, it says, of the Lord. We should never negotiate the presence of God. This is part of what makes it his house. Can you imagine if you had friends that invited you over all the time, but every time you showed up, they weren't there? Right? How many times would you do that? Maybe a couple of times. If you're really gracious, you might get to three. I'm doing it once, right? That's just who I am. I'm cynical. But you might do it, a few, but at some point you're going to say, if, if they're inviting me over and I get there and nobody's home, I need some new friends. If you're showing up to church week in and week out, month after month, year after year, and you're not sure whether or not God's there, I would say you gotta find another place to worship. You gotta find a different place. Because it's supposed to be the house of the Lord. And we should never negotiate his presence. See, the, 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 the last part of, 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 of this series on gathering, right, is, is the house of the Lord. That's your responsibility. You, those are the things that you've got to do, right? But the leadership of the church, they're responsible to make sure that some of these last things happen. And as a church here at City Life, we're committed, we're committed to the presence of God being in this place and having his way when we gather. We come because we find him here. Let me just tell you four attributes about the presence of God. He's loud. He is. He's loud. The, the, the experience of Elijah and the still small voice is one of the only times in the Bible that God is referred to being quiet. I'm not saying he isn't quiet. And I'm not saying that there aren't times where we need quiet moments with him. What I am saying is that's the exception. Almost everywhere else in the Bible that you read about God and his voice, it's deafening, it's overwhelming, it's frightening. There's an intensity to who God is. Psalm 68.33. Now, I'm not going to read these for the sake of time, but I put these in the notes for all the people that do the download of the document. There's 2 Samuel 22.14, and there's also Revelation 1.15. These all talk about, about this idea of, of God being loud. Listen to Psalm 68.33. Sing to the one who rides across the ancient heavens his mighty voice thundering from the sky. Now, I don't know what thunder sounds like where you live, it's loud where I live, right? Even thunder that's distant, right? There's an intensity to it. There's a, a rumbling of the thunder. And as it gets closer, it gets louder and louder. And, and, and God says, yeah, that's what my voice sounds like. 
There's an intensity to who I am. There's an intensity to my presence. I'm loud. The Bible talks about God being big. Listen to Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth? The implication being that he's held it, felt it in his hands. Or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale. Now, if you've never spent any time in Isaiah 40, you should read the rest of that chapter because it's a verse after verse after verse after verse about how big God is, about how powerful God is, about how everlasting God is. If you showed up here on Saturday night and there was an aircraft carrier in the parking lot, yeah, Doug's like, that's great. Navy, there you go. How many of you would walk in and we would say, I'm so, I'm so sorry you had to park across the street because the aircraft carrier in the parking lot. How many of you would have said, what aircraft carrier? <laughs> We're like, you really, sh- if you've been drinking that much, you sh- I'm not sure you should be in here right now, right? <laughs> Especially working in the nursery. <laughs> right, I mean, how many of it's an aircraft carrier in the parking lot, right? You would say, what, why is there an aircraft carrier in the parking lot? The largest dry dock in the world is right down the street. Let's move it down there. If God has held the earth in his hands, how big is he? How big is he? When we leave a place that's supposed to be his house, something inside of us should be pretty sure that God was there. Something inside of us should recognize and notice that the creator of the universe was in that room. Even if Christianity is brand new to you, there should be something about the experience that you have when you come to a place like this where you might say, I'm not sure everything that was happening in there, but it was significant. It was big because that's the nature of who God is. This next one connects into this idea of him being big. And and let me just add this point too. I made this note in in the margin here as I was praying earlier today. We want him to be big for people at all ages here. We don't want it to just be big for you. We want it to be big for the kids that are in workshop, first through fifth grade. That's not just childcare down there. We want them to have an encounter with God when they come to this place. When you're dropping your kids off in the nursery, the the people that are working in there in the nursery, they're just not showing up to meet some practical need. They're bought into a vision and an idea that children have had the ability to sense the presence of God. And they're there to minister and care for those children just the way that you're being ministered and cared for in here. It looks different, it feels different, it sounds different, but the purpose is the same. We want God to be big for all ages here at City Life. When you're dropping your teenagers off for RC on Wednesday night, and if you're not, you should, because it's an amazing thing that Pastor David and Hannah and their team are doing down there. We want God to be big for our youth. It's one of the reasons why youth turn to explore things in this world so oftentimes is because the church has failed to help them understand how big God is. And so they're, at that age, they're looking for an adventure. They should be convinced through the church that they're a part of that there's no greater adventure they're going to find from walking with God in this life because that's how big he is. He's overwhelming. Listen to 1 Kings 8, 11. 1 Kings 8, 11. Do I have that verse? All right, we're going to turn there. 1 Kings 8, 11. 
a lot of pressure. You want the pastor to know where those verses are in their Bible, right? You're like, please let him turn the right way or I'm out of here. If at this point the pastor says, is that in the New Testament or the Old Testament, right? That's your cue to pretend like you've got to go to the bathroom and never come back. 1 Kings 8, 11. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. The glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Can I just tell you, that's one of my lifetime prayers. It's one of my lifetime prayers. One is that I'm going to experience, right, teleportation, because that's all throughout the Bible, right? You've heard me joke about that so many times, right, where people are in one place, and then all of a sudden God puts them in a different city. I'm like, come on, just one time, Lord, just one time, just one time. This is, this, is, this is another one. How incredible it would be, just one time, that we show up for church, and we can't even get into the room because the manifest presence of God is so overwhelming, that his glory is so, so thick that it manifests itself like a cloud. That's what really happened here when they dedicated this temple. The glory of the Lord made itself manifest in such a physical, tangible way that people could not get into the space. Well, this is one of my prayers. God, just one, just one time, just one time. Even if, even if God says to us, it's not for you to experience that, can we just agree that there's something between this that we just read and nothing at all? There's got to be something in between. If you come to a place like this where people are worshiping the creator of the universe and we're digging in deep into his word and we're spending time together in prayer, can, can we just agree at the very least we should be somewhat distracted by the glory of God? At some point during this 90 minutes, you, you should forget about what's waiting for you outside of this room. Responsibilities and demands and crisis and hurts and disappointment. What, what, what Steve talked about, come on for that worship wrap-up. He didn't know what we were going to be preaching on. So powerful. But right, if you're the, the person that's, that something's holding on from your past is holding on to you, or it's a, a fear of the, what lies ahead, if that's you, at some point in these 90 minutes, you should forget about that because the glory of God is so overwhelming, it distracts you. You should be looking for that in a church that you call home. Never negotiate his presence. Acts 2, 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the others, what should we do? God's presence, it's convicting. It should have a way of making us want to live better. Conviction isn't just about, although this is part of it, feeling guilty for the things that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing because if you're in God's presence and you're doing things you're not supposed to do, that's part of what conviction is. You should feel something inside of you that's, I sh this is wrong, I shouldn't be doing it. But part of conviction is also inspiring you to do more of the good that you must. These, these 12 pathways are great examples of that. When you're in here, you should be leaving here on Saturday with a desire to read your Bible more this week. You should be leaving here with a desire. To, I can't wait for next Saturday to come back and be with the people of God. 
Something inside of you should be inspired to be more generous, to be a better steward of your resources, right? We could go through each one of, of, of these 12 pathways that something inside of you, when you're in God's glory, conviction should come to your heart. The, the conviction that deals with the things that you shouldn't be doing, but also the kind of conviction that inspires you to say, I want to go further down these paths. That's what his glory is supposed to do for us. Never negotiate his presence. He's loud, he's big, he's overwhelming, he's convicting. If you can't find those in the church that you call home, then I'm just saying you gotta find a different place. It doesn't have to be here, but find a place where you can say yes. Where you can say yes about these five things about the God you experience, and you can say yes about the other list that you're willing to give to that place when you're there. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. So I got pulled over the other day. What was this verse that we just read out of James? Confess your sins to each other and pray, right? I've not been, I've not been pulled over in over five years. It's been a long time. We were... What's that? What did, what, did, what did she say? That's what he said. That's what he said. That's great. I'm not looking at Jamie because she's a police officer, right? So, so I, I'm on 664, and I'm taking Derek to his, his baseball game uh, down in, uh, d- deep down in, in Virginia Beach. And, and, uh, and when you're on 664, no, when you're on, I'm on 264, not 664. I'm on 264, when you're, and when you're on uh, all right, I'm going to get it right in just a minute. <laughs> I'm on 64, and I'm trying to get on to 264, right? And you know that line gets long there. You with me? If you're from this area, right? When you're on 64 and you're, and you're heading to 264, that, that line is so long. And so what I've been doing for years is because when you get to the front, there's all kinds of room. And the reason why there's all kinds of room is because at the end of that line, it breaks off in two different directions. Does that make sense? And so there's just massive gaps between cars. And it always frustrates me that if people would just go forward more instead of getting in this single file line, that the traffic would flow much better. And I've taken it upon myself to help demonstrate that as a lesson to others. Thank you. Thank you. So what I'd never realized is if you go far enough, that dotted line turns to a double solid white line which apparently means you're not supposed to cross that. Especially when the car that you're crossing over in front of is a state trooper. Who does that? Yeah, this guy. So I'm just cruising to the front like I always do, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm actually explaining to Derek about, right? I'm teaching him as a driver. All these, they stay in this line, it opens up, you just come to the front. And as I drift over, right, because there's this, it's like eight car links, right? I look in the rearview mirror, right, and that's when I see the state trooper. And as soon as I, I notice, I have a revelation. I notice those two white lines for the first time. I've been doing this for years. We've been living down here for 10 years. I've been in Virginia my whole life and I'm 50, right? I've never noticed those two white lines, but I noticed them in that something inside of me, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? And I, and I literally said to Derek, he's up there in the tech booth. I literally said to Derek, I, I wonder if you're supposed to cross these white lines. 
I said it out loud. And about that time, guess what happened? Boo, right? Lights come on. I'm like, no, I can't believe it, right? So I pull over and, and uh, state trooper comes up and, and uh, you know, they always ask you the same question, right? Do you, do you know why I pulled you over? And I wasn't sure that was it. So, right, so I'm, I'm that guy. No, sir, no, I don't. I don't know. And, and, uh, and so he's kind of laughing, right? He's looking, you know, he's looking in the car. He sees Derek in the, in the, in the baseball uniform. And, and, uh, and so he says, you know, I pulled you over the, the double weight lines. And he explained it. And, and I said, hey, I'm so sorry. You're right. I shouldn't have done that. And uh, so he took my driver's license and registration back to, the, to his car. And, and uh, so I was telling Derek, I, you know, I don't think he's going to give us a, a, a ticket. And, and uh, he's probably just making sure that, you know, that I don't have outstanding warrants, all this. So he comes back and he said, sir, I'm just going to let you off with a, with a warning today. And just if, you could just if you could just be more careful. And he explained it again. I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes, sir. And, and, uh, and so we pull away. We pull away. And, and uh I didn't originally have this in, in my sermon for this moment, but as I was praying today, this is the thought I had. When that state trooper went back to his car, I wonder if he had the thought, if people would just follow the rules, if they would just follow the rules, everything would just be so much easier. And then I thought, I wonder how many times he said that in his life as a state trooper. Probably all the time. And you know what I thought I had next? How many times does God say that about me every day? And how many times is he saying it about you? We, we spend three weeks just digging into those seven commands in this one verse. These are rules. We call them commands because they're not suggestions. God is saying, I created you and I created this life and I have the right to tell you how to live. And then what he expects of us is that we will follow the rules. And when we do, can we just agree? Life goes so much better. Stand with me. Father, as we just step into this moment of worship tonight, I pray that for the person that if they're still here, that we just had such a prophetic sense in the beginning of the message, that maybe the reluctant party that was here, that maybe in this song that they're going to encounter you in a way that words cannot express. In, in a way that's going to begin to give them faith that they never had. Healing for hurts that they never thought were possible. And, and for all of us, God, that you would inspire us to follow the rules, especially the ones that come to gathering. That these, these seven commands that you've laid out before us in this one simple verse, find us faithful. Let's worship together.